Welcome to Geek Catch-Up. I'm Kyle Eckert alongside Chris Heck. We're two lifelong friends with a passion for all things geek. Whether it's gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. If it's nerdy, there's a good chance we're into it. You are listening to another Wrestling Recap, part of our Spotlight series. And this time we're breaking down the May 23rd pay-per-view, AEW Double or Nothing. Before we get started here, Chris and I would like to take a moment to say thank you for listening to this wrestling recap and thank you to everyone that's been listening. There's a lot going on in the world right now and we appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. Hopefully everyone is staying safe and healthy. Also, we hope that in this short time you're hanging out with us, it's a nice break from the high stress we're all experiencing. Usually this is the part where we ask you to spread the word about Geek Catch Up on social media and to stay saucy. Instead, I'll ask that you spread the word on using common sense, smart social distancing, and to quote Braun Strowman, remember to wash those hands. All right, well, here we are with our final wrestling recap of season one. Definitely excited to be bringing it to you. We had AEW Double or Nothing last night. And it essentially marks the one-year anniversary for the company, and they came to us live from Las Vegas, Nevada. This event did a great job delivering quality matches from start to finish, and turned out, honestly, to arguably be their best show yet. Yeah, it was quality through in and throughout all of it, start to finish. The the pre-show was solid, The all the individual matches, the title matches were good, like it was just balanced well-balanced matches throughout the whole thing good storytelling quality pay-per-view for sure and you mentioned it so we are going to start out in our recap here with that match on the buy-in pre-show we saw a tag team number one contender match between private party and the best friends both absolutely capable tag teams really been getting hotter and hotter since the aew launch Best friends are are proving that they are capable of wrestling with absolutely anyone. And Private Party has just been great characters, bringing a lot of excitement to the ring. So this match ended up not being the most clean match. There was definitely some execution mistakes that happened. Probably could have turned out worse. They saved a good bit of it. But otherwise, we saw a lot of high-flying dives, moonsaults, numerous swinging DDTs. Both teams showed up and and brought mostly their A-game. I thought it was pretty entertaining start to finish. Uh, What did you think about this match, Kyle? I would say they brought their A-game. It may have been their A-minus, B-plus game. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Because it was, oddly, it was the first time I've ever been, I don't want to say disappointed, in an AEW tag team match. Because I wasn't disappointed. It was very entertaining. Uh, the, the one downfall I think that had this match had was it felt choreographed. Yeah. In which naturally all wrestling matches are choreographed to some extent. But this one, it's tough when you're in a spot where you're about to do a move and the other guy is like clearly waiting for you to do a move and right. not like attacking, just kind of watching. And there were a few moments like that throughout this match. I mean, all in all, it was still good. I was still entertained, but hate to say it. There's a reason it was on the pre-show. And those slight hiccups prove why it's on the pre-show. Yeah, it kind of made me think that maybe there's just a little bit of ring rust, right? With, yeah. the, the, with the situation with COVID, 
and the different schedules that these guys have in, in numerous companies, just kind of wrestling as, as a whole was impacted, right? It, it just looked like maybe there was a touch of rust. It actually kind of looked like those guys were a little gassed too about halfway through. And yeah. so some of the moves started to slow down. So, you know, it, it worked for the pre-show. Um, we saw the best friends end up winning by pinfall after hitting the strong zero off the top rope. I really did like some of those moves. We saw the the big avalanche suplex from the top rope where he, he almost delivered a like a brain buster. Yeah. So all in all, definitely still had its moments. Mark Quinn from Private Party, I just have to say, is is so impressive when it comes to the athletic stuff he's able to do. I don't know if you saw the one spot towards the end right before the the best friends got the finish, but Mark Quinn did that shooting star press. He did a standing shooting star press off Trent's back yeah. and then came down on him. Like It's just so impressive. There was a shooting star press in that match where I actually said it was so perfect that it almost made it more dangerous. And I, it was, I assume it was Mark Quinn doing his shooting star press off the top rope mm-hmm. and he and it was so perfect that he almost went straight up and came straight back down yeah and didn't get out far enough he's all vertical yeah when he hits him he go. he does it's the highest shooting star press i've seen in a long time but yeah he doesn't get much uh range from it yeah the range is the right word for it there so it's still athletically impressive and all around you know bright future for those guys yeah for sure private party's gonna get a run at some point I was happy to see the best friends win this, even though I kind of lean more towards being a fan of Private Party. I just think they're kind of better characters overall. Yeah. But the best friends have been on a run, like I said at the beginning. They have, they're they able to put on good shows and wrestle with pretty much anyone of any style. And I think that they can deliver a pretty hard-hitting match when they go up at some point here in the future against Omega and Hangman Page for those AEW tag titles. For sure. Absolutely. So we're going to keep moving here because there was so much that happened in this pay-per-view. So with the one pre-show match in the books, we moved over to the main card. And I have to say, I was really surprised that they kicked it off with this casino ladder match for the AEW title shot. If you're not familiar, but you know what wrestling is, essentially it's AEW's money in the bank. There's no way around it. I don't know if it'll have quite the exact same stipulations as far as, you know, anywhere, anytime. The option can be cashed in, but you know there's a there's an opportunity hanging above a, a ring. There's ladders everywhere. You can put two and two together. <laughs> right? Yeah, it really is just the AEW version of Money in the Bank. I I hope that they change the stipulations a little bit and that it's just a future opportunity and not a not a cash in whenever they want. It it would feel way too similar if it was a cash-in whenever you want. Right, and I think that is the way they're going with it. But all in all, I was okay with it, even though there was a a chuckle to be had there when they first announced it. But this match, we saw a number of of competitors. We had Darby Allin, Cole Cabana, Orange Cassidy, Joey Janela, who was a late ad to replace Ray Phoenix, who got hurt on Dynamite earlier this week. We had both members of SCU with Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian. We had Luchasaurus in there. We had Kip Sabian. And then they had this mystery competitor that was billed, you know, going into the match that we did not know who that was going to be until we were in midst of the fighting. And all in all, I thought also one thing to point out here that kind of differed it from Money in the Bank was they did the staggered 
almost Royal Rumble style approach where two folks started out in the ring at the beginning and then every two minutes a new competitor entered. Right. And I really like that stipulation. I thought it was also very unique that you could win the match before every competitor had a chance to come into it. Right. I thought that was going to be interesting. But honestly, that's where I kind of had to knock on them a little bit. You know, as much as this match turned out to be pretty good, they tried to do a little little something interesting by having both members of SCU start the match. And, and of course, they were like so honorable that they ended up, you know, fighting each other. But I'm like, come on. If like if I'm SCU, how do you not just go up and get it and just leave? You know? Yeah, like, yeah, just snag it. <laughs> well, you have to suspend belief a little bit. I know, I know. This just felt a little silly. Like if I'm SCU, like who cares who gets it? We're just gonna we'll figure that out later. Yeah, I'm just gonna go up and take this thing, call it a night, <laughs> go party in Vegas the rest of the time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I guess. Well, if they had gone that route, they would have had to. It would have forced their hand into making Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian actually turn on each other. Yeah. And as we saw throughout the match, like they, they really worked together more than they worked against each other throughout the entire match. Yeah, they had a they had a great time. I mean, everybody in this match really did pretty well. They had good individual spots. There was some good team up spots. I thought that there were some funny moments and some holy shit moments here. Really, like the first one was when when Darby Allen did that double stomp through the skateboard, yeah, through, through the ladder, Ooh, yeah, I thought he broke his leg. Well, it just—it's one of those things where he does it, and you look at it like, how does he naturally break his fall? Because there's no body there, there's nothing there to slow momentum, and he did roll out of it mm-hmm. to seem like he was okay. But that was that was wild, and there's no hesitation. I think he's just a professional stunt guy. Yeah, well, and he does skate on the side, you know, like in his personal life from what I've seen. So he's probably fallen off a board more times than any of us can count. And you you do learn how to fall. Really, all of wrestling is built around knowing how to fall. So it's possible. But man, when he hit that and he broke an actual ladder in half. Yeah, I was like, there's no way he didn't just snap his tibia. You know, I was (laughs) like, this dude is going to be bleeding over there for a while. Yeah. His knees turned to powder. <laughs> yeah. Just macho, macho man style. <laughs> but from there, you know, shortly after that happened, we saw uh, Orange Cassidy come in. And I am not going to lie. I was laughing my ass off because <laughs> as Orange Cassidy comes walking in, Tony Schiavone said that he, lo- quote, looked pissed about being in the match and that he was, quote, too lazy to climb a ladder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that he came over to the commentary booth and he was like, What's the stipulation for this match? What do I need to do? Yeah. And and uh, Excalibur was like, man, Tony tried to explain this to you 20 <laughs> times in the back. How do you not remember what the stipulations are? And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's funny. I wrote down, I was like, uh, OC comes into the match or does he? <laughs> because, like, you know, he just had no interest in going to the ring. I actually thought when he first came out, the timer was going to completely roll over and the next wrestler was going to come out before oc ever made it to the ring that would have been funny i could see it the gimmick just never well i won't say never it hasn't gotten old yet but it's just so funny because everything in wrestling typically is so serious you know the guys are always like i'm here for the gold and and orange cassie's just like i don't even know where i am you know yeah like like, what i end up here what are we doing So he came out, he had some good comedy going on with how he was treating the ladder, trying to figure out how a ladder works, how he should set it up. It it was some good entertainment there, but then we saw Luchasaurus come in and just devastate everybody. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Colt Cabana and Joey Janela came in before Luchasaurus. But yeah, True. eventually, yeah, Luchasaurus did make his way to the ring and just clean house. That dude is so big and so massive. Like, he's such an intimidating force in the ring. It's it's crazy. He, he's wildly athletic, too. And he was really kind of who I was hoping would win this match, just looking at the field, you know, especially since some of the others have already had some run-ins with the current AEW world champ, whether it was Jericho or Moxley, you know, looking at the list, I don't really see SEU really being in the title picture yet, even though they had matches with the champion recently. Yeah, say so Scorpio Sky had that one on Dynamite a, well, was a couple months ago. Right. And so Lucha, though, looked like a guy, you know, the Jurassic Express is getting a lot of fan support. Maybe if he, even if he wouldn't go on to win it, I was thinking Lucha could be a guy that could have a different fun feud but still probably intense with moxley um or Brody lee whoever was going to win at the end of the night so i was happy to see him in this match he came out dropped all of his moves man he powerbombed kip sabian out onto the rest of the guys like outside the ring i thought that was a pretty awesome moment ton of power there and uh and then that choke slam he dropped on frankie kazarian onto the ladder where frankie bounced like three yeah. feet back in the air <laughs> yeah yeah those guys were not holding back last night. No, they were definitely going full out. I mean, opening match of the night, they got to go hard. And I think every single person in that match, like you said at the beginning, they had a quality spot. All nine competitors, and then 10 if you include Jimmy Havoc's brief stint run around hitting people. <laughs> every Everybody got a move in. Everybody had a highlight in one way or another. But honestly, it might not have been anybody that got highlighted more than the mystery entrant. Oh, yeah. And that one caught me by surprise. Me too. Uh, he ended up being Brian Cage, came out accompanied by Taz. He made his freaking debut by ripping a full-size ladder in half, <laughs> yeah. which was pretty amazing, pretty <laughs> yeah. impressive. Yeah, pre-ripped or not, still cool. Yeah, it was a good way to go. Um, but my first question really was, who was Brian Cage? Because I'm, I'm not going to lie, I was not familiar with this guy. I am not still familiar with this guy. But it, he immediately had a presence. I mean, he's got size. He's built like a white Apollo Cruz. Like he's, he's really jacked, but not super tall. Yeah. But really intimidating, almost like a Scott Steiner kind of build. Well, he came over from Impact. Like, and I knew that he was a free agent signing, and he was in the the TNA Impact world. Okay. Um, and I, I basically I know that I don't follow TNA or Impact other than really Tessa Blanchard and Brian, and I saw Brian Cage being highlighted there. So he came over from there. He was a big player, but I wasn't too familiar with his work. I was actually very impressed because the, at the look at him, I didn't think he was going to be as athletic as he was. Right, for sure. He was doing some serious stuff. I thought, oh, he's going to come in and he's going to be a Ryback. And he's just going to be all power, all muscle, all show, but he doesn't have much flexibility or athleticism to him. He's just... You know, he's going to gorilla press some people and that's going to be the end of it. But no, nah, the dude really showed off throughout the entire match. He's just how athletic a big guy could be. And I was impressed. Oh, yeah. Well, the bar these days for big guys is really changing. Yeah. You know, like you can't just be a strong man anymore so much. Like even guys like Braun Strowman or this guy, Brian Cage, uh, Luchasaurus, you know, that are these massive imposing figures, they're still out there doing flips and dives yeah. and high flying stuff. It really is just a different game when it comes like you can't, you can't judge any 
wrestler by the outside appearance anymore because they may come out and and just completely show you up on what you're thinking that they're going to do. And this was one of those situations. So he looked like a solid mix of really powerful and then really agile. Um, He kind of got buried for a while because after he did his initial push, got that initial pop, the whole contestant field kind of turned on him buried him underneath a giant poker chip table and some ring barriers and things like that. Took him out for a while, really. Yeah, they, they kind of pulled a whole Brian Cage is going to go to sleep for a bit um, <laughs> throughout all that. But before that went there, I really liked the moment where Brian Cage was climbing the ladder and OC jumped on his back. Yeah. And he continued to climb the ladder with Orange Cassidy on his back. And and Orange Cassidy actually got his hand on the chip uh-huh. while on Brian Cage's back. I thought it was just... We said it before, Orange Cassidy brings a little bit of humor and fun to wrestling, and it, it, I do enjoy it every time it happens. And then shortly after they went and they buried Brian Cage under all the equipment, I guess I should say it, in the giant poker chip, did you see when Joey Janela gave, it's probably the only real highlight moment of Joey Janela's night, but he gives that running Death Valley driver to Cassidy off the apron onto the poker chip, which is on top of Brian Cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, I did. I thought Joey Janela had two highlights. One was when he first came in, and he, he runs so weird. But he was running like the little short little steps and diving on everybody. And then but this Death Valley driver off the apron was really, really intense. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Joey Janela was kind of he was in there, but he, he was kind of forgettable for me as far as the, the nine competitors in this match. And maybe it's because he was a late entry. So they they didn't have too many things for him to do because they had planned for Ray Phoenix to be there. Joey Janela's forgettable every night he oh i'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big joey Janela fan to be honest at this point not sold on jo- i i knew that you had said that in the past but i wasn't sure if you still felt that way about joey Janela. like yeah he just doesn't do it for you doesn't do it for me not even with this sweet death valley driver <laughs> that was a good moment you know but as a character and and all that i i can leave him after all that really to finish up here this was a pretty long match tons of spots but we ultimately saw the new guy, Brian Cage, work his way out from underneath the pile of rubble. And he kind of went and knocked out a few different guys, but he ended up finishing out the match by military pressing Darby Allen, who was laying on top of a ladder. Yep. So Cage is essentially, you know, military pressing a ladder and a human at the same time. And then he threw him completely out of the ring, which was really definitely it looked kind of bad like i don't know if you noticed that. oh the like way Darby he fell hit the, yeah the yeah. way he fell but it was impressive and then he climbed to the top and he snagged the poker chip to to have the opportunity to go on and face the aew world champion i actually kind of liked did you see did you see his finisher i guess it was called the the drill claw like a pile driver it was like a suplex into suplex. the spike pile driver kind uh, of yeah thing. yeah he did it to he did it to one of the smaller guys i think he did it to kip sabian yeah, right? it was Kip, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. It was pretty sweet. I liked it. It's a solid power move. I'd like to see him try to do it against a bigger person. That might be. True. But, I mean, the dude is jacked, so he can probably get anybody up. Yeah, for sure. I think he, he immediately had a presence. I think he's an immediate threat to whoever's the champion. He's an immediate threat to the entire AEW men's division so we'll have to see how he can talk they've got him with Taz so I'm not sure if he's good on the mic or not you know the jury's definitely still out on him yeah but I'll bite I mean I I was impressed you know at first I was thinking not much to see here probably by the end of the night you know I'll follow this guy and see where he goes with it 
Yeah, I'm not going to write him off on one match. I mean, his debut match, I was impressed. So you give him that. I like Taz. I think Taz can talk. He's proved that on AEW Dark on Tuesday nights that he's a good talker. So see where see where it goes. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to move on here. And honestly, it was a tough match that when when we came out of the casino ladder match and all that happened there, and I saw that MJF versus Jungle Boy was going to be the follow-up Instead of the opener, like this really felt like a, a, a an event kickoff type match to me, just looking at it on paper, right? And yeah. versus Jungle Boy, easily forgettable, easily overlooked. But ultimately, I'm not going to lie, this match turned out to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Following what they had to follow, I was super impressed that, that MJF and Jungle Boy came out and delivered this match. You know, MJF has been on a very hot streak as he's come into the company. I think they said he's 10 and 1 with AEW and he's yet to be pinned because mm-hmm. um, his one loss was in a fatal four way where he was not the one pinned or submitted. I don't know what you thought here, but this match start to finish was great technical work. They had awesome coordination, they had good chemistry. I could have watched this all night. Solid storytelling. I, I loved every bit of this match and actually. While I was watching it, I kept thinking, Chris has been not sold. Like, Chris has never been sold on MJF. I wonder if this is the match that might actually sell him on MJF's quality as a wrestler. It did. I'm not putting him at a top guy for me, you know, but it definitely raised his stock. Yeah. Watching this match and seeing him wrestle at that level, the coordination between him and Jungle Boy the different bridges and pinning combinations and all of that. I mean, they it was just technical masterpiece. Yeah. It looked like a master class between what otherwise is kind of two small guys that most people would easily go to the bathroom on. You know, to me, it, it stole the show right back from the casino ladder match, and it put all the spotlight on quality technical wrestling and you said in-ring storytelling when they were like upside down and headstands and bridges and yeah. locked together but they were like talking active shit to each and other slapping each other it. yeah and slapping that shit was hilarious you know yeah well actually, it's interesting that you highlight that moment because that happened a couple weeks ago on raw between angel garza and somebody else that is now maybe austin theory somebody that austin theory or maybe Humberto. It was it was well over a month ago. And I remember people on Twitter being like, this is stupid. <laughs> and like it just didn't work for that environment and people were making fun of it. But yet I hear I saw it again and AW found a way to make it work. Like and it was quality. It it didn't last too long. It fit what they were doing. I thought a lot of the story in this match was a classic back and forth and they were doing the same moves to each other to show how even they were technically right and i really appreciated that like, i really was into uh yeah like mjf is a quality heel with quality wrestling jungle boy is just just as good just as an up-and-comer he's also a young wrestler very good technically and has a bright future i think they said that they're they're very close in age as well they're both in their early 20s probably yeah the match definitely did more to put MJF over with me than the feud with Cody did. Yeah. Like, I, I will say, it, seeing MJF finally wrestle in that way, it, it it elevated 
for me. Um, I know that it probably was really a match designed more to put Jungle Boy over even more. Maybe. Just because, you know, it gave him an opportunity to show that as a singles competitor, he can stand toe-to-toe with the best. Mm -hmm. But all in all, I thought it was great. They had one spot that I thought was a little rough. Jungle Boy gave a reverse Hurricane Rana to MJF on the apron. Yeah. And, like, that legitimately Mm. looked like... Like a, an injury was about to happen. I mean, he he hit bad on the back of his neck, but he did a good job selling it. You know, he ended up coming back from it. But I don't know if you saw that one. No, I did. I definitely caught that. It, it looked really rough, but he played it well because I thought MJF in classic MJF style, his heel work is just top notch. And he it wasn't that exact moment that he asked the doctor to come over and check him out. But he then parlayed that into a later spot in the match where, like, he pretended to be hurt. The doctor came in the ring, and then he fooled everybody and attacked Jungle Boy from behind. Yeah, it's true. He got desperate at times, and ultimately, I felt like he really just he survived this match. MJF did after all of the back and forth, all of the the constant struggle, and he ended up getting kind of a quick pinfall on jungle boy after them going back and forth with a series of pin reversals this match at the end of it really i called it co-match of the night for me okay i thought for sure it was going to be match of the night (laughs) even though um, most people will probably overlook it but there was one other that really stood out to me as well so what did you think about this at the end of the day i can't argue with co-match of the night i mean if it weren't for a match i think on any other pay-per-view This would be match of the night, but there is something that happens later that is just so good um, that you you can't deny that that was the match of the night. But any other night, totally agree. This is match of the night. Yeah, it had me thinking back to some of the days of old when like young Rey Mysterio and young Eddie Guerrero or or Dean Malenko, whoever, some of those cruiserweights from the past would come out onto a card stacked full of superstars and then be the only real match that you remember just because they were so so good in that in that moment yeah so it just it checked all the boxes right like it it's good technical wrestling good storytelling good finish good uh, spots ev- everything is just check 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 down the line um you know not to put like the Meltzer five star on it but <laughs> I, I mean it was just for me every single spot in this match was just exactly what i wanted out of a wrestling match for sure. So from there, we actually moved into one of MJF's uh, biggest rivals, a match with him where we saw Cody take on fairly new competitor Lance Archer for the brand new AEW TNT Championship. This is the culmination of essentially a tournament that's been running over the last couple of weeks of AEW Dynamite. And we actually saw a special guest in Iron Mike Tyson Iron Mike, showing up. Yeah. To- to present the new belt. What'd you think about that? Iron Mike looked really good for a guy that's almost 60 years old. Dude's been training. He's been training. And he, like, I know that we saw all the clips that were showing up on Instagram and social media and places like that of him boxing with his trainer and working out. But seeing him like live there when he took his shirt off at one point, it's like that dude does not look like he's pushing 60. Mm-mm. Nope, not at all. He cracked me up. I don't know if you caught it, but there was actually one moment later on in this match where... The camera panned to him for just like a few seconds, and he was like yawning. He was yawning, yeah. I did catch <laughs> like that. He was bored. I, I thought about I thought about somebody in the back being like, "Don't take that shot. What are you doing?" Because the match 
was actually fairly entertaining. Oh yeah, and it wasn't there wasn't any real yawn moments, but he is pushing sixty and staying awake is He's tough. Iron Mike. He does whatever he wants. Yeah, you know, it, it was. I just thought that was kind of funny. There was another one towards the end. I think I might call out um, with Iron Mike, but. But he was there, and it gave a little bit extra life because you had him at ringside. You had Arn Anderson at ringside. You had Jake the Snake at ringside. So there was a lot going on here. Um, before we go too far into it, though, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on the new TNT Championship belt. What did you think about that? I was actually going to ask you this question as well, what what you thought about it. I I like that it exists, but it kind of looks like a dollar store belt. <laughs> It's true. So I was going to say that was my first thought, right? Like I wrote here, belt is a little plain Jane compared to the men's title. But at the same time, though, I have to give him a little leeway because just a few minutes later, or maybe it was early on in the in the match, but Tony Schiavone actually made a comment about the belt saying that it's not finished. Oh. So he he made a comment saying that there's no gold on the belt. And that was because of COVID-19 and some of the impacts with getting stuff done today, you know, essentially. But he specifically said it'll 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 look different once they're able to get it fully finished. Okay, that makes me feel better about it, because for me, it looked like it was done all around. But then it was the TNT part. Yeah, it kind of looked like they just used like electrical tape and and made tnt put on it's something that like you or i would have done when we were kids (laughs) like oh we got a championship belt and like we go to the store Uh and we buy we buy a replica and then we we rip the front half off where it says you know wcw wwf and we we just tape mtw over top of it or something yeah it's true that was my first thought but i i give them a pass when i heard that so i was just curious i didn't know if you caught they had dropped that detail in there so i wanted to see what your first reaction was because <laughs> i feel like a lot of people probably had similar thoughts like yeah this is very underwhelming you know i didn't catch that but now that you've said that i'm happy that that was highlighted and that something is going to be improved so anyways before we get too far from what actually happened in this match <laughs> <laughs> there's so much that happened before this match it's true. It's true. Well, including even as a warm up, I guess, when Lance Archer actually came to the ring, he dragged a dude with him <laughs> and choke slammed him six feet into the ground. Yeah. Like one of the biggest choke slams I've ever seen. You know, that was how he started the match yeah. before Cody even entered. Well, they kept showing the vignettes of him wrestling dudes in the backyard and just destroying them. Yeah. Maybe he brought one of those guys with him. Yeah. He brought a carryover from that, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, there was a lot of bad blood going into this match. They did a good job between, I mean, Cody can feud with anybody. He's proven that. But when you added in Jake the Snake and Arn Anderson, it kind of just raised the interest levels up, right? Got a lot of really creepy promos from Jake the Snake over the last couple of weeks. And Lance Archer was just out there pretty much just dropping massacres on everybody. He almost ended Dustin Rhodes' career in the semifinals of the tournament. And uh, and ultimately, Cody had to go up against him to kind of get some of that redemption, you know, for losing the AEW championship, redemption for his brother, redemption for the Rhodes legacy. Yeah. So there was a lot going on here. They put the snake on Brandy a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Jake showed up with the snake. That was pretty cool. I would expect nothing less from a guy called Murder Hawk. <laughs> that if his nickname is the Murder Hawk. Like, that's ex- okay. It's exactly what I want him to look like and act like. So everything about him, it fits that persona, right? Except for the fact 
that he has the world's largest tramp stamp. Yeah, <laughs> his lower back. It's just I. Th- I guess it's like a graveyard or something. Yeah, but it's just this giant like eight inch. Thick side to side black blob, and it looks like he got the world's largest trans yeah. stamp covered up. And there's no detail to it. Yeah, it's like I said, it's black. It's a total silhouette of a graveyard. And like I know that there there's crosses all throughout it sticking up, so it's meant to look that way. But no, you, you're right. There's oh, there's there's two, two stick line crosses, one on each side. Okay, and then the the big cross comes flaming out the top. Yeah. Okay. So I, I didn't know that it was one piece. I thought I thought the cross on his back and the graveyard were two separate pieces. They are. Oh, they are. Okay. I just think they, they connect. What I'm saying, but it doesn't look right. No. So it's just it cracks me up that he's got all these tattoos that are pretty decent, and they just have this one giant black tramp stamp blob. So that's always going to take him down a peg for me. But anyway, everybody gets 18 year old tattoos, Chris. <laughs> People make mistakes. It's true. It is true. Anyway, so there. This was a strong, strong match from the get go. And and I have to say, Archer is another one of those dudes that is really big. He's what, like six eight? Yeah. He's kind of built like Luchasaurus or some of those guys. Um, but he was really dropping some some more athletic moves. He we saw him do some old school type moves, and then when he did that, you know the uh, the walk across the top ropes and then into the moonsault. Yeah. Like for a big guy like that, that was a big spot. Oh, it's definitely impressive. I thought I I have it written down here that there was just hard hits. Yeah. Throughout this entire match. And I kept waiting for Cody to get some offense in, and it just never really happened. Couple spots here and there. Couple spots here and there, but for the most part, it was like, man, Lance, they are showcasing Lance Archer kicking the crap out of Cody to the point where, like, I actually said, I was like, damn, Cody's kind of getting his ass beat right now. Oh, yeah. He was working to keep putting him over. I, I, one big spot, though, Cody did hit was that giant springboard diamond cutter. Yeah. Off the top rope. I thought that was a good one. No, I enjoyed the, the diamond cutter off the springboard diamond cutter. This, you know, he had a few suplexes. He bent Lance over the post on the outside. Yep. That was pretty nifty. I liked the little interchange between uh, Cody dropping the DDT in Jake's face. Yeah. And then, and then they flipped it back, and Lance Archer did the spine buster in Arn's face. I thought that that was a nice moment, pretty cool. Well, and Jake sold it really well because he was like super pissed that that Cody used a DDT, yeah, Cody used you know, DDT. which is so common these days. But he came <laughs> out and he's just like losing his mind on him. Well, Jr. saved it. Jr. was like, you know, it's a DDT, but Jake's DDT finishes people. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> I thought that was so funny. does Moxley's, but you know, we won't right. we won't fight you, Jr. Right, yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, and then ultimately that kind of turned into some controversy because um, Arn and Jake both got banned from ringside. We saw Jake the Snake try to come back and bring an actual snake to the ring, which you know always kind of gets you a little nervous because you never know what, what type of snake's going to be in right. that bag or what they're going to do with it. Damien's on his way. Right, Damien's on the way. But I thought it was kind of funny because then you know Iron Mike ain't having it, so he gets up, rips his shirt off, flexes on Jake the Snake and sends him back to the ring. He also flexed on Lance Archer, like, what you want, bro? Yeah, I you saw know? that, yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely, yeah. Dude, dude's ripped. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, for a guy pushing 60, he rips his shirt off, he flexes on everybody, and it's like, there's not much flab or fat there that you would expect out of a 60-year-old. Dude is just cut. Oh, he'll knock anybody out. But it kind of cracked me up, honestly. It kind of took away from the moment a little bit, but it cracked me up. So you got shirtless Iron Mike you know, up on the stage, flexing on everybody. And then Cody kind of uses that and hits Lance with back-to-back crossroads. 
and gets the pin to win the belt. But I don't know if you caught it, but Mike Tyson was still in the background, yeah. just kind of like wandering around shirtless. He was like, trying to put his on? shirt back on. Actually, yeah, I did. Yeah, I noted that. I was like, you know what? You can't hate on him too much because he's your guest. But Mike Tyson, <laughs> shirtless Mike Tyson was so distracting trying to put his shirt back on that it actually did take away from the finish of the match a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it cracked me up. Yeah, he looks so clueless, like, uh, where, where do I go? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then, well, so yeah, Cody hits the crossroads, gets the pin on Lance Ar- Archer. Mike knows that he needs to step into the ring and give Cody the belt, but I'm sure he doesn't want to do it shirtless, but it kind of just gets to the point where, okay, that shirt's not going back on. You, you can't <laughs> right. figure it out. Just get in the ring. So he does. He just kind of gives up on the shirt, walks back in the ring, and hands Cody the belt. Yeah, it was funny. It's very well-deserved for Cody. In a way, I, I did expect Cody to win this match just as the nod, um, given his history and everything that's gone on. Yeah. But with how much they built Lance Archer, I really thought that they were going to keep that momentum and and have him win this. So I was surprised that, that Cody ultimately did get the win here. But it should make for, for some great moving forward feuds. Cody has proven that he can he can make quality entertainment out of anybody that he's wrestling yeah you know he is building these feuds he delivers in ring pretty much every time i kind of wanted to see if you had any thoughts on whether or not you think mjf might circle back now that there's a belt like will mgf after having beat cody before come back and be like yo bro i want that belt i could yeah i could absolutely see that happening because i felt like they were only going to go so long without cody winning something it seemed like Cody had lost a number of feuds and a number of big time matches in a row. He lost to Jericho, lost to MJF. Like, is he going to continue to lose? There's only so much lovable loser we can take. And he is the face of the company. So it, it made sense. And also, I'm also thinking down the line, you want to look back and say that the history, the first person to hold the TNT championship is Cody Rhodes. Yeah. That's something you're going to want. But next steps very much could see MJF stepping into the picture, maybe beating Cody again and taking that belt. That way, Cody can still be a player, but not be a champion. Right. They established the the history of the belt. They're going to give it some prestige, let him hold it for a minute, but ultimately pass it on to the next the next person that deserves the the mid tier belt, the the future belt. That's how I've always looked at the IC belt and the US championship. And the television championship back in the WCW days, which this kind of parallels, it is you put it on somebody that is the future. And I think that is MJF. Well, and they've set that stage already because I think they came out and said during the tournament that whoever holds the TNT championship belt is essentially always is going to be the immediate number one contender. Yeah. Top of the rankings. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. Like Cody can't fight for the top title anymore because of the stipulation with Jericho when he lost. But now he's like number one contender essentially because he's got the TNT championship. So yeah. we'll have to see how they work it out. Definitely excited to see more belts though. I, I think that they needed at least one more to help solidify the the second tier of that roster. Really just everybody else that isn't the top guy because there's so many. Yeah. Well, and they're all putting on good matches. We look at MJF right. and Jungle Boy. And, you know, later you get a little bit of Dustin Rhodes, Sean Spears, like these these guys are individual competitors and they're performing well and they deserve something to go for um, just to give because not every match 
can just have a blood feud attached to it. Some matches need meaning, and that meaning is belt. Right. And I and so I think this is this is a perfect time to bring it in and to showcase some of these lower tier guys. It's true. So next up, we had what was supposed to be. Well, I guess it still turned out to be a, essentially like a number one contenders match on the women's side, but originally. It was supposed to be Dr. Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander. And if you hadn't heard, Britt Baker had blew out her knee on Wednesday's edition of Dynamite and had to be replaced for this match. So that was a little bit of a bummer. But Penelope Ford gets the call up. She comes out to take on kind of a a hot Chris Statlander who's been really getting a push as of late in the AEW ranks. I have to admit, though, I missed most of this match because I had to take a concession break. Grabbed a cannoli cupcake. It was delicious. Ooh, a cannoli cupcake. I know, right? But I stepped away, and I only saw the finish of this match. So I didn't know if you had any thoughts to share uh, before we we share that and then move on. I was relatively unfamiliar with Penelope Ford and kind of her body of work. But I we, obviously, we've seen Chris Statlander in AEW for a while. She challenged Nyla Rose for the belt the last pay-per-view. But all in all, I was very impressed with both wrestlers. Okay. I thought it was a solid balance of back and forth. They definitely elevated and took it to a pay-per-view level match, which historically we haven't seen that out of the women's division in AEW. True. Is that they just keep they keep putting on, okay, that's a good match. That's a TV worthy match, but they're not delivering like holy crap pay-per-view level matches. Right. And I th- actually think that you know, Penelope Ford coming out with a first pay-per-view match in AEW, it was a great showing. And also Chris Statlander really having a solid bounce back match after a ho-hum match against Nyla Rose. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I definitely didn't necessarily want to miss the match. It just seemed like the best time in the card to jump up and grab a quick break, you know, reset before everything that was coming later on. I did see ultimately that Statlander won by pinfall after hitting, I think her move is called the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory, yeah. Yeah, so it was a good finish. Clean pinfall and see if uh, she'll move forward and and challenge the champion here um, probably in the next pay-per-view. We'll have to see how they work on that. But any other thoughts on that before we move forward? No, there's nothing crazy there. I'd like to say that there was truly memorable moments as, as much as I'm hyping this match as being a, a solid match all around. There's nothing, there's no big moves that were memorable to me. It was just quality wrestling, uh, which is what I want to see out of the AEW women's division. I feel like that's been the one area they've been lacking. So to finally see uh, when we get to it a little later, two quality matches out of the women's division, I'm very happy. There's definitely some good steps forward for the AEW women's division there. All right, well, we're getting getting close here. A couple more matches. Uh, next up was a little bit more of a, of a throwaway match as well. Turned out to be kind of entertaining, though. We had Dustin Rhodes versus the chairman, Sean Spears. This is a little bit of a feud match, card-filling match, kind of, if you will. Spears came out to the ring in a suit. He was not wearing his wrestling attire because he didn't actually expect Dustin to show up. They were kind of playing an angle there. He even had Dustin's music played as a, as a ruse you know, to get the fans worked up. But then as we get going here, Brandy came out, distracted Spears, allowed Dustin, her brother-in-law, to mysteriously show up behind him in the ring. And from there, it was annihilation. What'd you think here? I really enjoyed the the way they revealed Dustin Rhodes. Like, I thought that was a smart utilization of the crowdless environment where you can have the camera person in the ring right up behind Sean Spears on his back 
and then have Dustin Rhodes just slightly come into frame. Uh, I, I thought that was great because in a crowd environment, you'd hear a pop. You wouldn't be able to execute it in that manner because, the, you know, the crowd would give it away. So I thought that was really smart. I really enjoyed it. And Dustin kind of proceeded to kick the crap out of Sean Spears, which is cool. But at the same time, is Sean Spears ever going to return to being a legitimate threat in AEW? Dude, I don't know. It was pretty much the number one note I had here from this match is is it was entertaining and watching Spears get stripped down to his underwear. You know, he was embarrassed. It was a squash match. It was a quick match. It was fine from some of those angles. I will say, I don't know about you, but at one point I actually thought that Spears' dick was coming out of his pants because he had the picture of Tully Blanchard. Yeah, well, they they stripped him down to his skippies. And and, yeah. and had t- and on his boxers, he had a picture of Tully Blanchard right on the front. It did. I actually thought it was like, oh my god, are they gonna blur that? <laughs> well, at first, because before they showed it, he was still moving around. So all you saw was this like whitish pink <laughs> blip on the front. Yeah. You know, and there's you know, guys boxers. You got the little flap that you can pull it out. You know, and and do things with it. So like, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought it too. I thought it too. But I was thinking, there's no way any wrestler would just hold character without adjusting themselves. Right, right. So, yeah, it was funny when... I laughed pretty hard, though, when they finally revealed, like, it was Tully Blanchard's face, you know, put on there. And that was by far the most entertaining part of the match. But anyways, going back to what you were saying, you know, the natural ended up winning this by pinfall after hitting the final reckoning. And that was my first thought, was what the hell is wrong with Sean Spears? He could wrestle... Plenty fine as Ty Dillinger in WWE NXT. Yeah. He can wrestle just fine as Sean Spears now. I think the character needs some work, but like he's a young guy in his prime with a good look, and there's no reason why he is losing to a guy like Dustin Rhodes at this point in his career. No, I wholeheartedly agree. It doesn't make any sense. He has a solid mouthpiece in Tully Blanchard as well. And I thought a year ago, I believe a year ago, maybe a little more, the, the whole point where he got the nickname the chairman is when he was challenging for the championship, for goodness sakes. How far has he fallen that a year ago he was challenging for the belt and now he's in throwaway segments where he's getting the crap kicked out of him right. by Dustin Rhodes? Like, and that's not to discredit Dustin Rhodes. Dude's a legend. And, like, he probably needed a little bit of a bounce back after getting destroyed by Lance Archer. But, like... You're right. To a guy that he's young in his prime, and what are we do? What are we doing here? And maybe they know something behind the scenes. Maybe he's tough to work with. Maybe he's not as talented as we think he is. I'm not sure. But there's who knows. They need to explain something. Why homeboy keeps losing so much? Yeah, because I really liked him as Ty Dillinger. I think he's got all the tools you need. At least you know on the surface level, it seems. So I was kind of excited about his shift to becoming Sean Spears in AEW. I thought it was a real good opportunity for him to actually establish himself as a as a respected wrestler, but it just hasn't gotten there. So we'll definitely have to see what happens. Maybe he's a one-trick pony. Yeah. You know, because in, in when he was Ty Dillinger, it was 10, 10, 10. <laughs> and then as Sean Spears, it was kind of, I'm the chairman. Like, I, I, who knows? Like, I... He he might just need a little bit more charisma, you know. Maybe maybe he's just he is a little bland at times. Yeah. Maybe that's really the thing is he's just not getting quite over with the crowds. But but I think he's got it in him. Yeah. Maybe charisma is at a seven, and we need it to be a nine. <laughs> Come <laughs> it's on. True. But before we get off it completely, I I I have to point out because 
I just we need to get it out there. And the end is so fast and furious. Uh, JR, I think it's time JR calls it quit. <laughs> Why is that? So at the end of this match, JR kind of played back into the TNT Championship match. Homeboy said TNA Championship. Oh, really? And, and he immediately <laughs> turned it into a joke. He immediately turned it into a joke and was just like, well, I screwed that one up. I probably won't be here next week. Uh, like, instantly acknowledged that he said the wrong thing. I didn't catch that. And it's probably going to get him fired. But when it was when Dustin Rhodes won, he made a reference to Cody and the Nightmare family, like, having a solid night all around, Cody winning the TNT championship. But he said TNA championship. And I thought, that is inexcusable. Like, I love JR. Dude is a legend, Hall of Famer. Not going to take that away from him. I love JR, but that cannot happen. On the debut, the debut night of that, that belt, that cannot happen. It is true, and, and I'm not going to pile on, but I, it, it, you have to acknowledge that JR has lost a step, or at least a half step, you know, ever since he's come back to AEW. There's, there's definitely a number of gaffes. Yeah. Or he struggles to find what he wants to say. Shivani, on the other side, seems to be as sharp as ever, but I think Shivani is still a little bit younger than JR. So, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. It'll be a sad day when JR fully retires from wrestling, but he's probably in that twilight of the career. Yeah. Maybe a few years over. And I'm not saying he can't be involved and they just pick and choose their spots, but I think it, it's hard. He makes way too many mistakes on commentary uh for me just for me to be the main guy, to be the main guy. uh and i just think that he either he's got to figure out what's going on and sharpen himself or just say it's time for me to go backstage and to and to support this because i'm sure he feels committed to the brand and wants to help aw succeed and i'm all for that and i'm all for jr but i think you're doing the entire show and the entire company a disservice by making gaffes like this, by making mistakes. And just, I don't know, it, it really, it kind of triggered me a little bit when he said it. I was like, you know, I get it's a mistake, it's a flub, it happens, and TNT, TNA, and I get it. Sure. That's very easy, a very easy mess up to make. Yeah. But I just think, I don't know, I, I'll cut myself off here because I'm piling on. He just, <laughs> they got to figure something out with JR because I, I can't sit here and have that happen when I want AEW to grow and get bigger and be more mainstream. Mistakes like that will st- will make them seem not as polished as they really are. Yeah, well, and I think it's highlighted a little more when Excalibur has been so good mm-hmm. at commentary, and then Tony Schiavone still seems to be on his A game. Yeah, you know, so I think that's probably the other dynamic is that if it was like Jr. on his own. Maybe it wouldn't be so noticeable, but when you're putting him up to the quality job that the others are doing, it, it's just highlighted a little more. Yeah, yeah. And you never want to see a legend fade out that way. You want to see him go out on top. Yep. It, it really comes from the heart. It comes from love. I, I don't want to see JR ruin JR for me. It's true. Before we get into the championship matches and co-main events, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsor, us. Yeah. 1981, Portland, Oregon, a night that starts out as innocently as any other. Two friends had arranged to meet up at the movies, but these plans were never kept. With time to kill before the movie one stops by the arcade, 
see a classmate had told him about a new game that had just come out. The idea was to only stay for a moment. But that moment would turn into hours. And what was meant to be a quick trip would change everything. A season finale that will shift all you thought you knew about video games. Geek Catch-Up presents Polybius. And we're back. Man, that, that sounded a little creepy. I don't know about you. A little creepy. A little creepy. <laughs> give me the, Let's see what's going on Give me there. the tingles. Give me the tingles. <laughs> Got to get refocused. All right. So next up, honestly, we were talking about the women's match earlier being quality. Uh, I thought that this women's match was maybe the best match that the women uh, across all of AEW have put on. I was really happy with this fight between Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida. This was a no DQ, no count out match for that women's championship. And I was a little worried for Hikaru coming into this just because, you know, you hear no DQ, no count out, no rules essentially for someone like Nyla Rose. That usually means you're going to be in for an ass whooping. And Hikaru is not a super big competitor. Now she's small. Especially comparatively speaking. So I didn't know exactly what we were going to get, but they put together a great promo package to really elevate this uh into a very serious tone right before they came out we saw sheeta come out in some amazing ff7 tifa inspired gear so that immediately digging it put her into the winner's bracket for me i was immediately rooting for once we saw that but what did you think about this match i just really good all around like you said the women's division in aw needed some bounce back matches they've they've done some subpar stuff as far as pay-per-view matches, the storytelling hasn't always been there. The developing of characters and people that you really want to root for and root against and believe in hasn't been there for AEW. But both matches with the Penelope Ford, Chris Statlander, and then Nyla Rose and Sheeta match here, like it's just really good stuff all around. And I, I just really enjoyed it. Like you said, DQ match, they fully utilized that with the kendo sticks and the strikes and utilizing the outside of the ring. This match started with Nyla Rose holding a kendo stick yeah. that she brought out from the back, and she beats the crap out of Sheeta from the get-go. Sheeta had huge red welts across her shoulders yeah. to start out. I was really, really impressed at how what kind of toughness she showed in this. It's true. And because kendo sticks are just things you can't really fake, you have to go full on and do it and you're you're going to get hit by a wood stick. There's no two ways about it. So she showed some serious toughness, but she had that. They sold that in her character before the match. They're like, "Normally she's smiley and happy and, you know, thrilled to be in the ring, but tonight she's all business. No smiling. She was totally focused and it fit the tone of the match. That's that's one thing AW did so well throughout the night is that the in-ring wrestling matched the tone of the story and it was just quality stuff yeah even though nyla started out early really bringing the beating she also actually put uh hikaru through a texas hold'em table (laughs) which was a pretty gnarly bump really put it down on her but we actually then saw the tables turn and sheeta put a a bigger beating on Nyla than we've seen anybody do since AEW started. I mean, she really cut Nyla down. A lot of strikes, a lot of big hits. There was a really cool moment where she gives her like the flying knee into one of the the poker chip backdrops. 
So there was some really cool back and forth here and a lot more power moves that maybe you wouldn't have expected out of the the smaller Sheeta. Oh, yeah. I, I have it written down here with a little asterisk because I thought it was so cool was that, that massive running knee that she dropped on Nyla Rose. It was just, yeah, right on the poker chips. It was really cool. And it's nice to see them kind of drop Nyla down a notch, I guess is the best way to put it, where finally someone competes with her as that monster character, as that she's not just going to come in and beat the crap out of everybody and throw people around. She got those spots in, like you said, the gorilla press over the barricade, through the poker table, really cool, shows off Nyla's strength. But it, it was cool to see finally somebody come back and go hard on Nyla. There was a you know superplex off the top rope. That was really cool because she is kind of the smaller competitor. She had a flurry of moves, smacked her with the kendo stick a few times. She'd have hit Nyla with a avalanche falcon arrow off the top rope. Oh. That was pretty amazing. It might have been what you thought was a superplex, but it actually was a falcon arrow. Was it? Okay. Over. Yeah. Oh, then I missed that. Yeah, I thought it was a superplex. That's my fault. I totally mis- misread that. Yeah, no, there was a ton of big spots in this. And even I had to give, like, Nyla Rose, she can get pretty athletic at times. And I know that she was she was winded and really broken down, so she didn't do her normal hop up to the top rope like she will but that diving knee that she does when she's got her opponent hanging over the rope kind of in the middle between the two turnbuckles it's pretty pretty impressive as well yeah just overall athleticism we talked about earlier with luchasaurus and brian cage the bigger wrestlers really showcasing some athleticism it's nice to see it being reflected on the women's side as well that just because you're a, a bigger power wrestler doesn't mean you can't do some highly athletic things And overall, as much as they went around using all the different props, the tables, the kendo sticks, it was a very well-executed match. It was a Mm -hmm. clean match. I don't really think I saw any missed spots like that, you know, sometimes happen with these gimmick matches like this, but they had the crowd worked up, you know, as they were going in and out with the different props. And and really, you know, Hikaru Shida stunned the world by upsetting Nyla Rose by pinfall after breaking a kendo stick over Nyla's head and connecting with a couple different flying knees. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. Uh, just before we get into that, I, I want to say I hated on Nyla pretty hard in our last wrestling recap of AEW Revolution, and I thought her match with Chris Statlander was just not pay-per-view quality. And so hats off to her. Kudos to her. She bounced back. Big bounce and really back. Big bounce back really impressed me here. It's really one that I wanted to see out of Nyla Rose. But when she ended up losing, I was shocked because the match was so good. I was like, okay, finally, I'm getting a solid match out of Nyla Rose. <laughs> her reign didn't last as long as I anticipated. Yeah, it's true. I expected her to win there just to keep the domination going. But, but I was actually a little happy that they did it. I think it's better storytelling. I think it leads to a little bit more interest moving forward. The AEW women's division really needs all the help it can get yeah you know with everything outside of just the talent that they have they've really got to step it up and i think that this can be one of those moments um it was easily the best match that they've had on a pay-per-view in that division so far at least in my opinion and i had it this was the other match i had as co-match of the night for me oh really i i originally marked this match when i was going back through it as match of the night and then I couldn't get away from from giving some accolades to that MJF Jungle Boy <laughs> match, but really, I thought this delivered start to finish and and had a good surprise at the end, so I was happy overall. Wow. 
I yeah, I'm I'm shocked that you gave it match of the night. That's really kind of crazy to me because I thought it it really was the the nod and the win to Hikaru Shida is pretty awesome because I think she's going to have some awesome programs going forward, especially with Statlander winning earlier in the night and now being number one contender. I think those two are going to work really well together because I think Sheeta will be able to pick up Statlander and and do some power moves. And I think Statlander, what I think failed in the Statlander-Rose match was that Rose was too big of a competitor for Statlander to pick up and to really maneuver in the air. They struggled. But this matchup of the new Sheeta Statlander could have endless possibilities. And that and like you said, that's what the AEW women's division needs. They need just keep you've got two now. You hit two, keep the ball rolling with just quality matches and you'll captivate people. Keep raising the bar for sure. And then that's exactly what it did here, especially going in, you know, this pay-per-view had been solid start to finish so far. And, you know, then we still had the AEW World Championship match up next. And then this crazy stadium stampede match that we knew nothing about coming up after that. So I thought hats off to the women for doing what they did there and setting that tone for for wrapping up this event. So next up, we had John Moxley, current AEW world champion versus leader of the Dark Order and fairly new AEW competitor Brody Lee. And this match was straight up a slugfest from the get-go. <laughs> they had some good build coming into this. I, I really think that we just need to acknowledge the fact, though, that every AEW champion in history has had their title belt stolen. It's true. I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's just like a running thing. Yeah, I mean, because Brody came out and he took that belt from Moxley. You know, he wore it to the ring for this match, even though he is not the actual champion. And um, and I thought another thing that was kind of interesting as a side note when when they came in, but they shared some stats as they were um, they were entering and said that both guys were actually undefeated in 2020 coming into this match. Yeah. So there was a little bit of a stat build there too. That's pretty cool. I, yeah, I do like that. And that's what you want out of an AEW championship, out of a world heavyweight championship match. You want both guys to be the best of the best, undefeated and on hot streaks. So I really liked it. It's funny that you called it a slugfest because I literally wrote down, there's only one word to describe this match, and it was slugfest. They went all over the ring and in and outside of it and just beat the living hell out of each other. Oh, yeah. And then, honestly, it was wild, the paradigm shift. I mean, I, I don't want to get too far into the match, but that was insane. Like the moves that they were dropping on each other in and out of the ring, through the barricades, on the outside, over the barricades, through tables, peeling up the mats on the outside. It was just absolute anarchy. Well, it turned into pretty much no DQ match, even though it wasn't supposed to be a stipulated match. But right, there was no 10 counts even being thought of for this. From the get-go, they just went at it. Some of the hardest hitting strikes we've seen all night. Yeah. I mean, those guys were, it looked like they were actually punching each other, to be honest. But I really thought that the crowd, too, you know, the way EW's been using the crowd and having, you know, and I use crowd in quotations kind of loosely, right? But having other wrestlers and people from the back be out there, they really did a good job interacting and they were cracking me up because you would hear different comments from them, you know, as things would go on, like, 
what did the table ever do to you? And just random stuff that silly. some of them were saying. Vicky Guerrero's voice is piercing. Oh, God. You, yeah, you, Vicky Guerrero. You can hear it. Seconds. You can hear it throughout uh-huh. the entire night. It's just coming in. But it was funny because there was a moment where Moxley slams Brody Lee through one of the other tables. And it was like right next to Billy Gunn. And you just see Billy Gunn's face was just like, mm, that was nasty. You know, it was just like. <laughs> It's like, damn, okay. Yeah, but it, but it it just kept cracking me up, and there was moments like that, really, kind of through all the matches. I thought that the the folks that were the the crowd, you know, did a good job being involved and chanting, yeah, and, and kind of bringing it to life, you know. But they just went back and forth, slugfest all day long. Brody Lee actually kept giving me a little bit of a Big Daddy Cool Diesel vibe. I don't know if you got that at all, but uh, his attire, attire. And mannerisms, the beard and the, the hair. He did. Yeah. yeah, he had this Diesel thing going on. I didn't. Now that you're saying it, I'm like totally seeing it. Um, it's not what I thought when I was watching it, but like, yeah, looking back on it and kind of his vibe is the boots. He delivers a big boot, the be- as you know, as, as good as anybody, and that was a classic Kevin Nash Big Daddy diesel like move he had a solid little sunset flip off the rope which i thought was cool another highlight of a big dude doing something that's crazy athletic i thought that was really sweet well he's shown throughout his whole career at different times especially kind of depending on what character he's portraying that he has that ability yeah he's got a pretty strong repertoire in in his toolbox but it just always seemed to be kind of contained or there were injury issues so I do like seeing Brody Lee here get a little bit more out on his own. I don't know what you really think about the character so far. I was going to ask you about that since we finally are getting a chance to talk about him here. Uh, I don't mind it. I thought it was a little soon for him to challenge for the belt. Uh, I would have liked to have seen some more lower lower card stuff and build and make the Dark Order a truly credible threat and not just numbers, not just a numbers game. It's fair. So, but I, I, I like it, you know, I, I like where they're headed. It's, it's something different. It's a large group, which I guess is different compared to the, some of the other factions in AEW that are smaller groups. This one surely is like 10 plus people. Um, <laughs> which I, I don't mind. I, I, I don't mind it. The dark order was kind of hit or miss. So hopefully he comes in and really establishes it. It's tough because they they brought him in, made him a badass, put him in the title picture, and then now kind of where do you go? That's a good point there. I I don't mind him so much in what he's been doing. It it doesn't seem like it fits with the direction the Dark Order was going prior to his uh, debut. Okay. I know there's been a lot of things like, is he trying to be Vince McMahon? But this, this... arrogant well-dressed i don't know it it didn't that was not what i was expecting i thought broken matt hardy would have been a much more fitting leader of the dark order but this is where they're going with it and i think he's got a lot of promise there we'll just have to see exactly how it all shakes out but after all of the the war that went on here we saw a pretty intriguing way to finish this match moxley they're they're fighting out they're going up onto the to the stage where Everybody comes out the entrance ramp, and Moxley hits Brody Lee with a paradigm shift off of a couple of stairs through the steel flooring of the entrance ramp. Yeah. And they disappear underneath. All the drama ensues. The refs come out, medical personnel. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, we see Mox dramatically crawl out from under the stage. 
gets back into the ring. Dude just never stops. Yeah, just going and going and going. Yep. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Brody Lee does kind of pop out like a gopher, except for he's exposing that he's completely cut open. We've got blood red color everywhere. And uh, I think Mox hit him with two or three more paradigm shifts. Yeah, hit him with three. And he kept kicking out. Yeah. You know, kicked out after one, kicked out after two. And then Mox finally just said, the hell with this, threw him in the chokehold, put him to sleep, and won the title by submission. Yeah, and and I, I like it, but I also don't like it at the same time. It, it kind of, because you, you put him through the stage, that didn't take him out. You hit him with three paradigm shifts, that didn't take him out. So clearly he's just this beast that can't be contained until you put him in a sleeper. Like, and then he, and then he turns back into a human. Like it just I didn't think about that, but good point. You know what I mean? Like he's supposed to be this badass and like can take any amount of damage, but he's still and I who knows, maybe that's like a monster trope that I'm just <laughs> unhappy with that like, you know, in the end they're still vulnerable to a very simple move. It's true. So I I wasn't totally satisfied with the ending, but I didn't it didn't like totally ruin the match for me. Uh that, that's fair. I guess I would agree. It did seem a little odd after everything else, but I, I would agree it didn't ruin the match. I thought it was still a pretty good contest. They definitely created some immediate history between these two that I think could circle back in the future. I, I expected Mox to retain and continue pushing forward. But going back, kind of just one last thought here, you know, going back to the very first match of the night with the casino ladder match when Brian Cage snag that world title opportunity yeah what do you think uh it's gonna be like seeing him feud with mox i that should be very interesting and it's mainly because like we don't know a lot about brian cage true uh the one thing i'm hoping for is like i expected mox to retain and that's cool what i would like to see is something different out of his matches because so far i feel like all of the john moxley matches have been these like knockdown drag out crazy matches where like people are going through tables or the entrance ramp or his omega match where he like they got a barbed wire and the bed of barbed wire and the bats and i want to see moxley's range i want to see him do something different so i'm hoping that if he does feud with brian cage it it is maybe gets back to a more wrestling based like type matchup and not some insane barbed wire match i believe that john moxley can do it and I just want to see it. Yeah. And that, and that's really what it's all about. Like, I, I just want to see something different out of him. Yeah, that is true. Every one of his fights have been these, like, knockdown, drag-out wars that, you know, he's just the tougher guy that's always going to get back up and, and survive. So that is a good point. We've seen that now a number of times on the pay-per-views. It would be nice to see a different style. I think it's going to be a tough situation, right? And how long they hold out before this match happens will be interesting, but... You know, can a Brian Cage big man, hot new item come in and then afford a loss immediately to Moxley? Like, or are they willing to go ahead and take the belt off Mox when he's so hot and put it on a guy like Cage? There's some interesting things we'll have to see. And with how young AEW is as a company, we don't really have a track record to know typically how they play with some of these situations because they're not strange things for wrestling. No. But. It's just new for AEW. You would, it will be interesting because you think about what they've done now with Lance Archer and Brody Lee. True. They, they brought two guys in that are hot ticket items and 
put him in high profile matches now and they lost because yeah, like that is true that happened with Lance Archer I know that he he made his way through the tournament with wins and big wins but ultimately he did lose to Cody and it and it was a legitimate loss there wasn't shenanigans and now Brody Lee the same way he was this massive monster leader exalted one leader of the dark order and build 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 but then in the end he did lose and he did lose clean so well, who knows? Maybe that's just AW style. Bring in a hot ticket guy, <laughs> send him to the top, have him lose, then work his way back up. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to see. Speaking, though, of all-out, drag-out, nonstop action wars, the final match of the night was one of those. <laughs> yeah, this thing was crazy. We saw the Elite with Matt Hardy, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Adam Page take on the inner circle in what they called a stadium stampede match. It was pre-recorded at the Jacksonville Jaguars football stadium. So I thought that was a pretty awesome environment to have something like this. Yeah, it was unique. We've seen empty stadium matches before, and this was... Could have gone down that same path where it's just another empty in arena stadium match, but they really didn't. They took it next level, especially with the number of people, like five guys on each side gave a lot of flexibility as far as what they could do and where they could go. The look of it was different because there was a ring in the middle of the football field. <laughs> the 50 yard line. But the 50 yard line, <laughs> but the match didn't start in the ring, but they did eventually make their way in it and then out of it again. This match was so crazy, start to finish. I think they just nailed it, and I loved it. Oh, it was super entertaining. It was so fun. From the moment that they even came into the into the arena, right? So they're coming down before either team gets announced and comes out to the ring. They've literally got the Jaguar cheerleaders yeah. and drumline and mascot all in you know face-covering masks for health reasons, but they're on the sidelines in full gear doing cheers yeah doing the drum line you know they they introduce the inner circle out of the tunnel like a football team they're in custom pads and jerseys and helmets like i was only jericho yeah really only, only jericho, only jericho. <laughs> well that's what i love about aw is they find a way to take these goofy ass situations and make them entertaining and fun and not campy mm-hmm. like no this match should have been the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but yet it finds a way to be the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. And you, you got to like tip your cap to Jericho and AW. I don't know who's writing and developing these things, but it's just <laughs> so good that they make it feel it's the right amount of silliness in each moment. Yeah. So they come out and, and you know, the, the elite, you know, they didn't come with custom uniforms, but they did come with weapons. Yeah, that was smart. But I thought it was funny the way the match started was essentially both teams about, you know, 20, 30 yards apart and girl Hebner blows a whistle and just starts a scrum yeah. and they just take off at each other. It was like the start of an old XFL well, game. Yeah, that's exactly you know? what I just thought. It's the start of an old <laughs> XFL game. Like, way to do it. They they took a couple shots like that. They took a couple shots throughout the night where they poked fun at old WWE stuff. But from there, it was just one scene after another. Laughs ooze oz pain i mean this thing had everything you could think of and we're not going to be able to cover all of it because it was super long (laughs) and i definitely recommend anybody out there go and try and get your hands on a copy of it if you can 
who knows if they'll show more of it on Dynamite this week, but totally worth the watch. Just some of the highlights here, and we'll kind of just bounce back and forth on them. But, you know, we actually, when the match started, we only saw four members of the Elite. Yeah. And Hangman was nowhere to be found, and that's not necessarily surprising if you've been following what's been going on, the little bit of tension between them. But, you know, Omega gives this little glance to the rest of them saying, it's okay, I think Hangman's going to be good. And then after, you know, a few minutes of fighting, we see Hangman show up on a horse. On a horse. You know? <laughs> yeah, on a, yeah, on a big old horse, like a huge and stallion. Goes, a real stallion and then goes chasing Sammy Guevara into the tunnel and off, you know, off camera. Yeah, recreating the golf cart scene from a few weeks ago on Dynamite. Yep, that was super funny. Um, somehow Sammy escaped and we see Adam Page riding the horse around backstage, <laughs> like in the tunnels and stuff looking for him so that was pretty funny uh, eventually we see things like matt jackson climb a ladder to get up on a goalpost in the end zone and do a moonsault yeah we saw the combat bleed into the stands but you know hangman is just still riding the horse around yeah eventually he finds his way to the bar <laughs> hey he found his way to the bar he found his way to the, the east club whatever like bar yeah it made sense but it was just spot after spot what were some highlights for you? I can't get around it. The entire pool spot with Matt Hardy and Santana and Ortiz was just so good. Like Because right after the start, like you said, the Jackson jumping off the goalpost, the high action, Kenny Omega coming in with the broom and being the cleaner, like that was all good. But it wasn't until things really started to break down and they started to utilize the different areas. Uh, and the pool spot was really good. I thought the bar scene between Hager yes. and Hangman Page was really good. But before we get into the bar scene, I, I have to stop and talk about the pool. Because it was Matt Hardy against Santana and Ortiz. And they find their way to like a three-foot high pool. And they throw Matt Hardy into the pool. And then I believe Santana gets into the pool to start fighting him. And he, and he jumps in like he's going to drop like a huge elbow. But it's a small gap. Like, it's only a three-foot high pool. Ortiz is nervous and doesn't want to jump into the pool. Because <laughs> he can't swim. Because he can't swim, so he backs his way down the ladder. And like, and everyone's just laughing. The guys in commentary are just dying because of just how goofy and weird it is that he doesn't want to get into the pool. He's afraid of drowning when all he could do is just stand up. But then, yeah, they, they get Matt Hardy, and they're beating him up in the pool, and they start like drown. They try to drown him. Yep, they dunk and him. And every time they, they every time they dunk him and bring him up, it's like they're baptizing him. And every time <laughs> he comes up out of the water, he's a different version of Matt Hardy. Between like version one, broken Matt Hardy, big money Matt, and it was just I was rolling. Oh my god! When I when I watched it, what ended up happening for me is I I started to doze off a little bit last night. Just couldn't fight it. Got the sleepy eyes. So I rewatched it this morning, and I was cackling this morning trying to watch it. When he first popped up out of the, the first time as like Hardy Brothers version one Matt Hardy, yeah. <laughs> I I definitely let out a, a wail because I was laughing so hard. That was so well done. And then he would get dunked back under, and you could they had like the pool had clear sides, so they were able to to get footage almost like an aquarium you know from the yeah, outside underneath the water yeah so every time he would go down and he was doing like the the different matt hardy hand signs yeah. and stuff <laughs> like it was it was perfect it was so fitting oh man you know and then you mentioned the bar so hangman's just hanging out in the bar drinking 
Jake Hager finally stumbles in and they go into like a classic, almost like Western style bar scene. Yeah. Are you here to drink? Are you here to fight? (laughs) Yeah. And then they start fighting. Dude, Hager gave Hangman a rock bottom onto a pool table. Yeah. Dude, that looked like the worst bump I'd seen all night because a pool table is a solid inch thick slate panel uh, with like an eighth of eighth inch of felt over it that's it you know it's literally just rock <laughs> there's no give at all no give i it it took me back to the mtw days when we used to wrestle as kids and i had a pool in my in my basement at my dad's house yep. and we would you know, utilize it here and there but never in that capacity never no. would i want to get slammed on top of it no nope. um ultimately we saw uh, omega come in to the bar looking for page and helping him out Jake Hager takes like five or six champagne bottles to the skull. Yeah. And then receives a buckshot lariat over the bar to kind of finish him out. And that ended up having its own good kind of final moment as uh, Hangman pours Kenny Omega a glass of milk <laughs> and, and Omega poured Hangman a, a shot of whiskey. Yeah. But I don't know. I kind of gagged a little bit because they went to Cheers and like a whole bunch of milk went into Hangman's whiskey yeah. and then he drank it. And I was like, if that's real whiskey, man. Ugh. Like, oh, God. <laughs> well, I thought of Omega in the middle of a match where he's running around and he's gassed. When I'm like on a run or working Chug out, some milk. milk is the last thing I want to drink. <laughs> so I was like, who does that man just chugging it's milk? True. It's so true. Oh, man. But before we got to that part, we had Matt Hardy take out Ortiz and Santana. In a hilarious manner. Yeah, he took he tied Ortiz up in a chair and duct taped him down. The chair of wheels. The chair of wheels. And then he took Santana and dumped him into an ice machine. And like as he dumped him into he's like, it'll help with the inflammation. <laughs> yeah. He's like acting like a doctor. Yeah, it, it was good. There's a whole bunch of little moments like that. They eventually did get back down to the ring. We saw Jericho deliver a Judas effect to Jackson DeVille, the Jags mascot. Um, we saw Matt Jackson give Sammy Guevara probably like 112 <laughs> consecutive Northern Light suplexes to travel from literally one end zone to the other. And I was dying every time they would come back and show that they were still doing suplexes. Oh my like God. a centipede all the way down um, was awesome. And then when he got there, essentially scored by putting Sammy into the other end zone. He dropped that Alex Wright dance on him, man. Remember that WCW? Oh, Alex he Wright? did. Yeah, I didn't. I like totally missed that. What a nice nod. Oh, what a nice. That nod. was so funny. He even said it. Like Matt. Like Matt literally looked at the ref when there was a joke, and he's like Alex Wright, and he starts doing the dance, <laughs> and then the ref threw the flag on him for excessive celebration. Oh yeah. Okay. See, I caught the flag, <laughs> but I missed why the flag had happened because that all went down right after Jericho challenged. Yeah, Jericho threw a challenge flag. Threw a challenge flag on the pin. Yep. And it took it into the replay booth. <laughs> nah, it was so good. They worked in football. They worked in wrestling. They culminated some stories, had some callbacks. It was really well done. I, I am so all for these these pre-recorded, pre-produced matches. I mean, WWE did great on the WrestleMania versions. AEW is delivering here. You know, if you really drop the seriousness of wrestling that people try to always give it, the competition of it, you know, it's it's half circus. It's all entertainment. Yeah. And so it's really built for these moments. Like, if they embrace it, it's perfect for these types of situations. And so I'm all for it. I was super happy with it. I'm not always down for them, but when done right, like this one 
they are entertaining. You can't get around it. But I feel like you need to pick and choose your spots. Oh, and yeah. so far, both companies have have really done well. And the crowdless environment is a perfect time to do something like this. So well, well, yeah, done. you can't do it every match. No doubt. There's no using this for every match, but one an event, one every other event. I don't know. I, I'm totally for it. I thought that it's been it's been a ton of fun. Um, ultimately, we saw a new Vanguard One show up. Neo One, upgraded. Yeah. Neo One, yeah. Neo one. <laughs> yeah. I think wait, they said it natural. It was the it was the end that I missed, but it's the the natural electronic organism. Yep. Or yep. the new. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it was. I think it was natural electronic or, organism. Yeah. Totally was awesome. Distracted Jericho and them, and pretty much the whole inner circle got taken out, and we ended up seeing only Sammy left standing he kind of survived somehow thinks he won the match at one point until he gets uh confronted by the rest of the elite and then he takes a huge bump when omega delivered a one-winged angel off um kind of the top of the concourse or you know i don't even know exactly where it was but it was a good probably 10 15 feet up back down onto the field through a bunch of tables and boxes and everything um, and he gets the pin to claim victory for the elite. I believe that's that's like a camera stand where on an NFL game they would put a camera operator there. That makes sense. with like a fifty yard line, you know, left and right, kind of cover the whole field situation. Yeah, it was wild. I I I kind of watched probably another ten fifteen minutes of it, um, even though it was getting late in the night. But once again, if you didn't catch it Saturday night, go find it on YouTube or wherever it is online. It was totally totally worth it yeah there's there's moments that we couldn't even really get into the the sprinklers hitting sammy the spray paint line over jericho they recreated the golf cart scene like it was just quality stuff through in and throughout yep it capped off a great double or nothing event so all in all i do think double or nothing just hit all the marks it was just a well-balanced show through in and throughout slight hiccups here and there but Easily to overlook them. Quality matches, quality storytelling, laughable moments, high impacts, good spots, great champions, well done. You know, Crowless Environment does limit them to some effect, but they pulled through and still found a way to put on a very fantastic, entertaining show. Thank you for listening to Geek Ketchup. If you enjoyed today's chapter, please remember to subscribe to Geek Catch Up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out Geek Catch Up on Facebook and YouTube, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch Up Pod for updates on new episodes every two weeks. You can find links to all these accounts in the show notes below or at our website, www.geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.